Happy Easter, everybody. Welcome to Alpine Church. We're so excited that you're here today. So excited that you're coming to celebrate our risen Savior with us here at Alpine. My name is John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor here at Alpine Logan. And I'm just super excited to be here with you guys today, particularly if you're here for the first time. Thank you so much for checking us out. We hope you feel welcome. We hope you feel right at home. And I also recognize we have a lot of people who are here for the first time in a while. Right Over the course of the last year, a lot of people have been worshiping from home with the COVID pandemic, and I know a lot of people have kind of earmarked Easter Sunday as the day they're going to come back to live services. So if you're here for the first time in the last year or so, we're so glad you're with us and that you're worshiping in person today and, and just excited to have you with us. I think it's especially gratifying to be here today and worshiping together because last year we didn't get to do this. You know, church services around the country and around the world last year were canceled but you can't cancel the resurrection. That's right. God is always at work. And I have no doubt that God has been working through this last year. In fact, through this last year, people have been asking a lot of difficult questions. They've been asking questions about mortality and, and what happens after we die. They've been asking questions about priorities and what's really important in life, about suffering, about God, about relationships, about connection. And maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe you've been asking some of those questions and you're looking for answers. Well, I want to encourage you to keep looking. Keep searching. God is big enough for your questions. In fact, God promises us in his word that if we seek him with our whole heart, we will find him. What an amazing promise from the God of the universe. Now, today we're starting a brand new sermon series called Proof of Life. We like to kick off a new series on Easter Sunday because we do know we have people here for the first time or for the first time in a while. And it's our saying, we hope you'll come back next week and the next week and the week after. And what we're going to do in this Proof of Life series is we're going to look at evidence for the resurrection. Yes, I said evidence. So the Christian faith isn't just built on sentimental feelings and, and feel-good stories. There is evidence for the Christian faith. Now, in Hebrews 11.6, God does say that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. That anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So God Himself says it does take faith to please Him. It takes a step of faith for us to believe in Him. But God never called us to a blind faith. God never said we had to check our intellect at the door or bury our head in the sand. We were created in His image. He's the one who gave us our intellect and our intelligence. And it brings Him glory when we use that intellect to seek Him. So I just want to encourage you, if you're here today and you consider yourself a skeptic, I am so glad you're here and I am not asking you to check your brain at the door. It stirs you and you want to seek more evidence, I encourage you to swing by our welcome desk. You can pick up a little copy of this book called The Case for Easter. It's written by Lee Strobel, who himself was a skeptic until he took an honest look at the evidence. So let me kind of give you a preview of where we're going in this series. Today we're going to look at the outsiders. We're going to focus on the women who are at the tomb on the day of the resurrection. Now, The resurrection is why we're all here. It's why we celebrate Easter. The resurrection is central to the Christian faith. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, if there's no resurrection, we should be pitied more than anyone. Because without the resurrection, it all falls apart. 
But we're going to see today that there is evidence for the resurrection. We're going to see throughout this series that there is evidence. If you feel a little bit like an outsider today, if you've got some skeletons in the closet that you think would cause God to give up on you, you came to the perfect service. Because we're going to see today that God has a heart for the outsiders and for the marginalized, and He has not given up on you. Next week, we're going to talk about Thomas the Doubter. Now, here's the guy whose nickname is Doubting Thomas. He was made famous for being skeptical. And one of the things we're going to see next week is Jesus didn't get mad at him for his doubts. So if you consider yourself a skeptic, I hope you'll come back and join us next week as we look at that. Then in week three, we're going to look at Peter. And the story of Peter essentially is how Jesus can use a failure. Of how Jesus can use someone who messes up over and over again, but then Jesus can take them and change them. Give them a new heart, a new perspective, a new purpose, and He can do mighty things through Him. In fact, the story of Peter gives me so much hope personally because I have foot-in-the-mouth syndrome just like Peter had a lot of times. And I'm grateful that God can still work in me and still work through me. Then we're going to wrap up this series with Paul, the zealot. So if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he was very zealous. He was very religious. You know, he went to church every week. He looked the part. He was the kind of guy who dotted all his I's and crossed all his T's and thought he was pretty righteous on his own merit. And then he met Jesus. And Jesus turned his life upside down. And the 180 degree turn that Paul makes from being someone who persecuted Christians to being persecuted for Christ is more evidence of the resurrection, more proof of life. And so we want to show you in this series that all of these stories provide evidence of the resurrection. That they provide proof that Jesus really did rise from the grave. That Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, came down and lived the perfect life that we can't live. That He was a real person. And He died a real death on the cross. And He really rose from the grave. And now He is seated at the right hand of God. That is the central story of the Christian faith. So let's kick it off with the outsiders. During his ministry, Jesus sought the outsiders, the overlooked and the marginalized in his world. Have you ever experienced a time where you felt like an outsider? I remember when my wife and I were still dating, I went down with her to one of her friend's weddings in Arizona. And the wedding was on the Navajo Nation. And so we went down there and Rhonda was off visiting with the bride-to-be and I ended up kind of being left alone by myself. And it was after dinner one night at the house we were staying in. It was, it was dark out. We had a fire going, and I was the only non-Navajo guy outside. And everybody was speaking in Navajo and, and looking at me, and I, I felt out of place. And then a guy came up behind me and whispered in my ear. He said, I bet you're glad we're all civilized or you'd be scalped by now. <laughs> <laughs> I have never felt more like an outsider in my whole life than right then. <laughs> Now, he ended up being the husband of one of my wife's good friends, and he obviously was just joking, and we laugh about it now. But at that moment, I definitely felt like I was on the outside looking in. And some of you probably feel that way right now. You know, you're here today because someone invited you, and, and this is out of your element. And you come in, and you, you hear this music that we just sang that you don't, you don't really get. And we talk about Bible stories that you're not familiar with or that you don't understand. And so I recognize that. And I, and I want you to know that we do everything we can at Alpine to try and minimize that feeling. 
We try to use a translation of the Bible that's a little bit easier to understand. Uh, whenever we talk about a Bible story, we don't assume that you already know it. We try to give you background on the story. But even with all of that, we know that when you come into a culture you're not familiar with, it's easy to feel like an outsider. It's easy to get intimidated. And if that describes you, I want you to know that during his earthly ministry, Jesus sought out the outsiders. And so I want to show you a couple of examples of that as we move towards the resurrection story. The first one comes from Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. It says, Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. I think it's so hard for us to understand the emotional depth of what's going on here because our culture is different. But in Jesus' culture, if you had leprosy, you were unclean. In fact, as you were out in public, as you were moving about, you had to yell, unclean, unclean, so that nobody would accidentally come in contact with you. The, the, the religious laws of the Jews required that you had a minimum of six feet separation between you and any other person. If the wind was blowing, it had to be 150 feet. You had to live alone. If you touched anyone, they became unclean. If somebody touched something that you touched as a leper, they became unclean. They were the ultimate outsider. So this leper approaches Jesus and heals down and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And I love what Jesus does next. It says he reached out and touched him. Now, if you were here for our Jesus and Genesis series, you know that Jesus simply spoke the whole world into creation. Jesus didn't have to touch the leper to heal him. He could have easily stood back the six feet and said, you're healed. But he touched him. How amazing must that touch have felt to the leper? As I was reading this story, I was convicted because I asked myself, how about me? Am I willing to reach out and touch the leper? Or do I tell outsiders how much Jesus loves them from six feet away? See, Jesus' compassion isn't the only thing on display here. So is his power and his deity. Because prior to Christ, if anyone touched a leper, they became unclean. But with Jesus, the opposite happened. Jesus' righteousness was passed on to the leper, right? He cleansed him. It's a picture of what happens when we ask Jesus into our heart. We don't transfer our uncleanness to Jesus. He took that on the cross. He transfers his righteousness to us. And you need to know that Jesus cares about the overlooked and the outsiders. So maybe some of you feel unclean today and you feel like your mistakes are just too big or you've done too much to other people for Jesus to care about you. But I want you to know if you'll ask him to, he will reach down and touch you just like he did the leper. And you'll be clean and you'll be as white as snow. Another example I want to share with you is in Mark chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. It says, later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Now, if lepers were the ultimate outsider, tax collectors were a close second in Jesus' day. The Jewish community hated tax collectors because they were looked at as traitors. They worked for the evil Roman Empire. 
Most tax collectors would bid for that position, and the way that they made their money is they would charge more than they had to turn over to the Roman government. So they were not only looked at as traitors, but they were looked at as cheats and as thieves. And yet Jesus calls one of them to be one of his 12 disciples. So this tax collector who Jesus calls to be a disciple invites Jesus and the other disciples to a dinner party at his house. And there are lots of other disreputable sinners there, as the passage states. Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes. Even the disciples themselves were regular Joes. Most of them were fishermen. So I want to focus on this last part of the slide that says there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. See, Jesus didn't come into the world just to get highly religious people to follow him. He also came into the world to call broken people, to call sinners, and he would welcome them, and then he would change them. He would give them a new heart. He'd give them a new purpose, a new identity, and then he would do amazing things through them. And Jesus still does that. He still calls the broken, and then he makes them a new creation, and he gives them a new sense of purpose and a new identity. I was fortunate enough to be reminded of that and, and see this again firsthand a couple of weeks ago. I went down on a, on a little retreat with most of the pastoral staff from Alpine. Now, if you're new to Alpine, just to kind of give you an, an overview, Alpine is a multi-site church, so we have campuses throughout northern Utah, and each one of those campuses has a, a campus pastor, and then we also have teaching pastors, and some of our campuses have associate pastors, Adam, depending upon the size, so we had about 10 guys who went down on this retreat. And we spent a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time planning kind of what's the rest of the year going to look like, a lot of time evaluating where we are as a church, where are we healthy, where do we need some healing. Spent a lot of time just speaking into one another's lives. We also played some cards and went outdoors and played a little golf. I mean, it wasn't all work. It was a great time, though, but on one of the morning sessions, we were speaking kind of into the lives of one another, and Pastor Eric from our Brigham City campus was talking to Mike London, who just came on staff. And he was sharing with Mike how grateful he was that Mike was humble and that Mike was teachable and that Mike had allowed Pastor Eric to mentor him when he first came to Alpine and to pour into him and to equip him. But here's what you need to know about Pastor Eric and Mike. When Mike first came to Alpine, he was a cop. He was a police officer. Pastor Eric is a former drug addict who is incarcerated for drug use. And so it got pretty emotional in the room as we as pastors started to recognize how this story played out, that God would use a former drug addict to mentor a police officer and to build into him and to equip him to go into full-time ministry. It's a modern-day picture of this. There were many people of this kind among his followers. And so I looked around the room and I realized that this group of pastors, there's there's a former drug addict there. There's a guy who used to hang blinds for a living. There's a former math teacher. Uh, there's a before Jesus came in and rescued him. And then me, I was just a, a recruiter, just a salesperson, just a bunch of outsiders that Jesus called and welcomed and changed. He still works that way. So let's keep moving forward in the story. And this is really the proof of life point that we're going to focus on today. This comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. It says, Jesus took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, Susanna, and many others. 
Now again, there's a, there's a cultural disconnect here. Because we might read that and read over it quickly and say, well, what's the big deal? I don't get it. But here's what you need to know. Jesus was the only religious leader of his time who had co-ed disciples. There wasn't another Jewish religious leader who had female disciples. In fact, the Jewish religious leaders, by and large, ignored women in that culture. They wouldn't even speak to a woman in public. A very pious rabbi wouldn't even speak to his wife or daughter if he ran into them in public. I don't know about the husbands in here, but that wouldn't go over so well in the Bella's household. <laughs> Obviously, none of these rabbis married a gal from Wyoming, because if I saw Rhonda in public and ignored her, it would only happen once, I can tell you that. <laughs> but if you were a woman 2,000 years ago, you were supposed to just stay in private. You know, you were somewhat disreputable just because you were a woman in that culture. You didn't have the freedoms we have today, and that's, that's one of the things that made Jesus such a revolutionary it's one of the reasons the religious elite had such a hard time with Jesus because he didn't come just to use men. He came to use men and women to build the kingdom. So let's continue to move forward and connect this to the resurrection story. Women were outsiders in Jesus' day, yet they're right in the middle of the resurrection story. And we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at that, that resurrection Sunday that glorious day when the tomb was empty. And we're going to see how women, even though they were outsiders in that culture, were right in the middle of the resurrection story. Now for those of you who are new to church or, or maybe unfamiliar with the Bible at all, here's just some things you need to know. The Bible teaches that Jesus is God Himself, that He is part of the triune God, that He came down and He took on flesh. And He lived a real life and He lived a perfect life. And He went to the cross where He paid for our sins. He paid our debt. But death couldn't hold him, and three days later he rose from the grave. And that's what we celebrate today. That's why we're here. And here's how Luke records that Resurrection Sunday. Beginning in chapter 24, it says, Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there, puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed, and dazzling robes. So they show up and the stone is, is rolled away. And not only was the stone rolled away, but the Roman guards who had been stationed there were gone. Now this isn't the main point of today's message, but this is more proof of life. It's more evidence for the resurrection. See, the, the penalty for deserting your post as a Roman soldier would have been death. The penalty for allowing someone to come in and steal the body of Jesus would have been death. This is more evidence of the resurrection. And the story continues. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. So the women were the very first to see the empty tomb. The women were the first to hear maybe the most amazing words ever uttered. He's risen. He isn't here. We've been celebrating that as Christians now for 2,000 years since, but it was the women who were the first to hear, He is risen. And then the story continues. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell His 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. And then here's the men's response. 
But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Ladies, we're dense sometimes. I'm just, we ask for your forgiveness. We, we just don't get it sometimes. It says, so they rushed back to his 11 disciples. Now, Jesus originally had 12 disciples. By this time, Judas, who had betrayed him, had killed himself. So he rushed, they rushed back to his 11 disciples. And then I love that it says, and everyone else. See, when you've just heard the greatest news ever told, you want to tell everybody. You're excited about it. Were you excited to invite someone here today? Man, I hope you were. I hope you were excited to invite someone to hear the greatest news ever told today. And then we see how the men responded. The story sounded like nonsense, so they didn't believe it. Can you imagine how frustrated the women had to be? They just shared the greatest news ever told and something they had seen with their own eyes. The tomb was empty, he's not there, and the men didn't believe it. And it's not like this should have been surprising to the men. Jesus had been telling them this was going to happen. In fact, if we back up just a little bit in Luke chapter 18, verse 21, this is what it says. Jesus took the twelve aside and he told them, We are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. Jesus often taught in parables, but that's pretty straightforward. That's pretty direct. He told them exactly what was going to happen. And if you look in your Bibles before verse 21, a lot of you will have a little heading that says, Jesus predicts his death for the third time. (laughs) This is the third time he told them exactly what's going to happen, and they just don't get it. There are a couple things that I see there, and one of the things is how important it is that women were elevated in the story. The men didn't even believe the story at first. And where were the men when the women were out going to the tomb? They were in hiding. So have you figured out how this ties into this proof of life we're talking about? Have you channeled your inner Columbo yet? Everybody in their 50s is like, who's Columbo? What's he talking about? Here's the main point of the story, guys. If the resurrection story had been made up, it would not have been put in the mouths of women. See, in the Jewish culture 2,000 years ago, women couldn't even act as witnesses in a Jewish trial. Women couldn't act as witnesses. Why in the world would Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, every gospel records it that the women were the first to see the empty tomb. The women were the first to hear that he has risen. There's only one reason you would write it like that, because that's how it actually happened. It's a historical account. See, there's no fake news in the gospel. There's no lying. There's no false narrative. If you are trying to make up a believable story about Jesus rising from the grave, the absolute last thing you would do was make the first eyewitnesses be women in that culture. If James and John and Peter and Paul were trying to make up a believable story, they never would have put it in the mouths of women at the beginning. For number one, it wasn't as believable. Number two, it made the men look bad. I mean, let's be honest, the men kind of look like losers in the story, at least in the beginning. But the reason it's written that way is because that's exactly how it happened. So if you're a skeptic, if you're someone who comes to Easter Sunday and you say, I'm not sure, what if all this was just made up? I encourage you to consider the testimony of the women at the tomb. It wouldn't have been made up that way. 
The testimony of the women at the tomb is proof that Jesus really did rise from the dead and that his heart is for everyone, even the outsiders. And we're going to give you more and more evidence as we go through this series. I hope you'll come back and really dig into that. But I want to close with the second part of this last point, that his heart is for everyone, even the outsiders. See, I mentioned earlier that we can't come to faith without God. We also can't come to faith unless God first draws us to himself. But the reason some of you are holding back isn't because you lack logical evidence. It isn't because God isn't drawing you to himself. If you're here today, that's evidence that God is drawing you to himself. It's because you don't think God would want to pursue an outsider like you. It's because you feel like you've done something that would cause Jesus not to want to love you, not to want to care for you. You think you've been disqualified from pursuing God. I would just remind you that it was tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes that followed Jesus. And that he chose to reveal his resurrection first to women. Women who at the time would have been considered outsiders in that culture. I would remind you that Jesus was willing to touch the leper. And that no matter what you've done, if you call out to him and ask him to come in and touch your life and save you, he will make you clean. He will wash you as white as snow. See, the gospel message that we celebrate every Easter is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That he came to die for our sins, that he lived a perfect life, that he went to the cross, that he died for us, but death couldn't hold him because he has power over death. He has power over hell. He has power over sin. He has power over your uncleanness, cleanness. <laughs> he even has power over the feelings that make you feel like an outsider right now. And he wants to invite you in. He's saying right now, I want to invite you in. I want you to play a part in the story. And so if you want to respond to that invitation, if you have questions on how to do that, we'll have leaders up front afterwards. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to answer any questions that you have. And we would love to help you take your part in the most amazing story ever told. Let's pray. Lord God, we are humbled when we think of the lengths that you went to to save us. God, I am so glad that you didn't call us to have a blind faith. I'm so glad that you don't call us just to bury our head in the sand. But instead, God, you have given us evidence. Evidence throughout Scripture, evidence throughout history that Jesus really came to earth, he really went to the cross for us, and he really rose from the dead. And so we celebrate that today, Lord God. We celebrate you for your power. You know, that, that last song we sang when we think about the name of Jesus, that it's a beautiful name. It's a wonderful name. It's a powerful name. So thank you for demonstrating power over death and over sin for us. And God, I just want to lift up anyone here who feels like an outsider, anyone who feels like they've done too much or sinned too greatly, that you wouldn't love them, God, that, that you would just break through that lie, that they would know they're not too far from you, that they would know that you are happy to reach down and touch them and, and cleanse them. So God, we love you. We pray that you be glorified throughout the rest of our day. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.